Now we begin our study of Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who was worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came, and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This chapter, chapter 5, is one of two that has a, a similar theme. Chapter 4 had an appearance in heaven of God the Father being worshipped and adored. And now in chapter 5, we have the Son, Christ, who is worshipped and adored. Chapter 4, the Father, and chapter 5, the Son. And this is all preparatory for the judgments that will be unfolding from chapter 6 onward. From chapter 6 on, we'll see judgments, one after the other, unfolding upon the wicked. As well, when we read about this chapter, chapter 5 with the seven seals, seven seals of judgment are what will be described in chapters 6, 7, and 8. The opening of this book by Christ is opening the book of judgment and punishment upon the wicked. But also at the same time, as we will see, in these judgments, there is always a song of praise or some kind of adoration of God for redeeming His people. So, this is what we will see right here in chapter 5, but we'll see this throughout the book of Revelation. This twofold truth, that there is victory and vindication for the righteous, and then there is punishment 
for the wicked. These are twin truths that we find from Genesis to Revelation throughout the whole Bible. So, verse 1. What does John, John the Apostle see? He says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. This book in the right hand of the one on the throne is in the right hand of God the Father, figuratively speaking. In this vision, he has this book in his right hand. When something is in the right hand, which is usually the more dominant hand, most people have their right hand as their strong and dominant hand, this is an indication of God the Father who sovereignly, with his mighty power and strength, carries out what he wants and he has ordained it, symbolized in this book, this book that's in his right hand. He's sitting on the throne, and as the scriptures make it clear, the one who's seated on the throne, he is the one who rules the universe. He controls all the events that happen on the earth. He's a king. He's the king, the sovereign king over the whole universe. And then this book is written inside and on the back. Inside and on the back. This is likely describing the fact that it has a comprehensive decree, a comprehensive will, a comprehensive intention of God to do everything that He wants to do, and it will be executed in full measure. All that He wants to do, it takes many words to write it and to explain that this is exactly what will happen, inside and on the back. And it's also sealed, sealed up, with seven seals. A seal uh, certainly identifies the owner, whoever owns the book, but it also signifies power and authority. Who is the one who is the owner of the book? Who is the one? Well, the seal would identify the owner of the book who has the authority and the power to do whatever he wants with the book, with its contents, whatever he has written in it, whatever his will is, This is what we have here. And it's got seven seals. Now the seven seals, seven in the Bible is is a book or or is a symbol of completion, of completion or perfection. These seven seals are here because it is supposed to be kept fully and perfectly sealed until the right time to open it, to break the seals and then to open the book. Verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? He sees a strong angel. A strong angel, perhaps because he's going to speak with a loud voice. A strong, mighty angel who speaks with a loud voice. He has to speak with a loud voice because we see that he's speaking loudly so that everyone in heaven, everyone on earth, and everyone under the earth might hear his call or his question. Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Who is worthy? Now, God knows, Christ knows, and even the strong angel knows, but he is sent by God in order to proclaim this so that it might be illustrated and that we all might know. We all might think about who is worthy. The voice goes out everywhere, as it says in verse 3, No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. No one, absolutely no one, was worthy to open this book in order 
to reveal further the righteousness of God in saving his people and the righteousness of God in punishing all the rest of the people who refuse to believe in his son. Only only one is worthy, and we will see that that is Christ. But no one else is. No one else is worthy enough to open it. Now, John, in this vision, he is seeing that this is the case, that no one is worthy. And so he begins to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. He weeps greatly. He weeps greatly. Now, a saint, someone who understands God and understands his purposes, would weep like this. Saints weep, saints weep, pleading with God for God to reveal himself and to reveal his will to us and even to carry out his will on the earth. Will, will not God take notice of his people who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long to bring justice on the earth? Luke 18 says, no, he won't. But why do they weep? They weep for justice. They weep for their own vindication and they also weep in order to see the righteousness of God executed so that the wicked are vanquished. They are punished and vanquished because it's both good to see God's love toward us and also His righteousness executed on the wicked. He weeps like this because he wants God to reveal Himself and to reveal His will throughout the earth. Verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. One of the elders, one of the elders calls on him to stop weeping. This is a word of encouragement. Do not be grieved, Nehemiah 8.10. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The way to overcome grief is to ponder the goodness of God, the power of God, everything about God. Ponder who God is in order to overcome anxieties and in order to overcome grief, in order to stop crying. Think about who God is. This is the call from Nehemiah, but also here, this one elder says, Stop weeping. Behold, look. Look to Christ. Look at Christ and see who He is. He is the Lion. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is worthy. Only Christ is because he is a lion. A lion. A lion, the king of the jungle. The lion, the powerful creature that it is. It does what it wants. And all the other creatures have to step aside because the lion does what it wants. This lion is... Figuratively speaking, of course, it is Christ who's from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. The tribe of Judah, the root of David. All the way back in Genesis 49, 9, and 10, and throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, the Messiah, the Christ, was to come from the tribe of Judah and specifically in the tribe of Judah from the family of David. Jesse and David. Jesse, David's father, and from the line of David, because the Messiah from the line of David will be the King of Kings, the ultimate and eternal sovereign. Only He will be the eternal sovereign. And this is why He's identified this way. Yes, He's a powerful lion, 
but he's also a mighty king. He's the eternal king. And what he wants to do on the earth will occur. He's the only one worthy to open it. This is an interesting note. Why is he the only one worthy to open it? Well, it says it right there. It says he has overcome. He has overcome. In what way did Jesus overcome? Well, notice in chapter 1, Revelation 1, in 17, Jesus says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus is the one who died and rose again. And now he has this ultimate power, this power of death and Hades. Acts chapter 17, Acts 17, 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The death and resurrection of Christ is the means by which God has appointed him to be the judge of the whole world. He is the judge of the whole world because he overcame death. He overcame death and he has the power of life and death in his own word, his own spoken word. We might also call our attention to Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty seven, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. If anyone is going to know God the Father, the Son must be willing to reveal God the Father to whomever. It has to be done by Christ the Son. It's in this way that He has overcome and He's the only one worthy. He's, he's died for our sins. He has risen from the dead. He has overcome death. And He's the only sovereign worthy. Verse 6. Now we see another aspect of Christ. Verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Here he now sees right there between the throne and the elders a lamb. He sees there, right there by God the Father, the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When we think of Him as the Lamb, we think of Him as the Redeemer. He's not only a regent, a king, but He's also a Redeemer. And this Lamb is as if slain. John sees remnants of His death. You know, after He rose from the dead, Thomas was shown the wounds and shown all of the places where he was nailed. Remember that. So in similar way, John the Apostle sees this lamb. A lamb in the Old Testament, the animal from the Passover of Exodus 12, is only useful if it is unblemished, offered in the proper way, and then dies. It's only useful 
if it has those qualifications. And that's the sense in which Jesus, as the Lamb, the ultimate Lamb, He's useful. He's useful and beneficial to us because He is unblemished, without sin. He is the one who offered Himself in the proper way to God. Hebrews chapters 5 to 10 is elaborate with that explanation. And then He actually died. He died on the cross. He didn't appear to die. He didn't swoon. He actually died. No one else died there to pay for our sins. Jesus died as a substitute for us. This will be a common name for Jesus in the book of Revelation. It it is this way in John and in the book of Revelation. A common name for Christ. He has seven horns. Seven horns. Horns in the Bible are indicative of strength. They are indicative of strength. Jesus has full strength, full power, full authority to do what He wants. He also has seven eyes. Seven eyes. He's omniscient. He knows all things. No one needs to inform Him. He knows all things. It says, as we read in Matthew eleven twenty-seven, 27, He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. No one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows everything about the Father except the Son of the Father. Well, that's showing His omniscience. Just like the Father has omniscience, all knowledge, Christ has it. In the same way, He has seven eyes here. Complete, full, perfect knowledge of all that is throughout the earth. And this is why it says, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Actually here, we also have an idea that this is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that Christ sends throughout the earth. And what the Spirit knows, the Son knows. And what the Son knows, the Father knows. What the Father knows, the Son knows. What the Son knows, the Spirit knows. The Scripture speaks like this, sometimes exclusively, so let's not misunderstand. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 1 Corinthians 2, it says in verse 10, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? And the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. That when the Bible speaks exclusively of the Spirit, it does not mean the Son doesn't know. And when it says this in Matthew eleven twenty seven about the Son, it doesn't mean that the Spirit doesn't know or have any power. The power the Father has, the knowledge the Father has, the omnis- or the omnipresence the Father has is the same with the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is why in Revelation 5, it is said that He has all knowledge, the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He knows what's all there, all throughout the world. Verse 7. Verse 7. And he came, and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Christ took the book out of the hand of the Father, and now it's time. He begins the process 
of breaking the seals. He will break the seals, but he's got it now in his own possession. Christ is the one, in other words, who is going to execute the judgment that we see in the following chapters. Christ is the one who will execute the judgment that we will see in the following chapters. This is what we read in Acts 17, 30 to 31, but we also see this in John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 22. John 5, 22. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me, or who sent Him. So, the Father is not the one who actually unfolds the judgment. He ordains it, but it's the Son who does it. The Son is the agent of judgment. And what's the purpose? In order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. This is exactly what we're going to see in the upcoming verses in chapter 5 of Revelation. We will see that the Son is worshipped in similar fashion as the Father was worshipped in the previous chapter. The Son is no lesser being. He's not a created angel. He's not a created being. He's not a mere man. He's not just a mere good man or good teacher. He possesses a divine nature equal to the Father. This is why we believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is spirit. So they are all invisible spirit in their divine nature. Three persons, one God. Revelation 5.8 Revelation 5.8 This judgment that occurs also has another means or another instrument, another cause. We might call it the, uh, a formal cause or a practical cause. Look at verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders, perhaps the creatures representing angels and the elders representing the redeemed, the redeemed church, they fall down before the Lamb, each one having a harp. Harps are used to sing to God, to praise God throughout the Old Testament and right here as well. And golden bowls full of incense. In the tabernacle and temple worship, incense was offered. Why was incense offered? As it says in Psalm 141, 2, incense was a symbol of the prayers of the saints. A fragrant aroma ascending up into heaven. When God hears our prayers, they are a fragrant aroma ascending up to heaven to God. That's what our prayers are to Him. Because He says there, it's full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Prayers of the saints. He shows it also, or explains it also in chapter, in chapter 8, verse 3. The prayers of the saints being incense. And another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, that he might add to it the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, 
which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Another example of that. Now you might say, why these prayers and what does this cause to happen on the earth? What does this have to do with this passage? What do our prayers have to do with this passage? Well, a parallel. Revelation 6.10. Actually, we can start at verse 9. Revelation 6.9. 6.9. This is the kind of prayer that has been offered throughout the ages that God will answer in due time. Revelation 6.9. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each one of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who were to be killed even as they had been, should be completed also. This is the kind of prayer that God is about to answer. He's about to answer this kind of prayer. Now this prayer is not just offered in heaven. This kind of prayer is also offered on the earth until we get to heaven also. Luke 18. Luke 18. This is a familiar parable. This parable of the widow who seeks justice from the judge, the unrighteous judge. Let's read this. Luke 18, verse 1. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find Faith on the earth? Yes, faith will be rare, and the faith that is true faith pleads with God for justice, and Jesus will bring about this justice upon His return. He will do it. He will give justice to all of us who cry out to God day and night when He returns. And this is what we're reading of in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. And this is the content of their prayers, the prayers of the saints. They want their own vindication and they want their enemies vanquished. This is the twofold nature of prayer. Now, verse 9. It also contains it also contains redemption, a song of redemption. That has to do with us and what Christ has done for us. They sang a new song They sang a new song, verse 9. This new song, it's difficult to know what this new song is. Is it a new song because there's a new occasion to sing the song? Or is it a new song because the Bible 
from certain psalms, such as Psalm 33 and Psalm 98? Is it a new song because it's a song of redemption? The new heart, because of the forgiveness of sins, sings a new song. They don't sing the songs they used to sing. They sing new songs, the songs of God. And they sing about their redemption, that they have been redeemed. In fact, that's the content of this. Their redemption is in focus. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The saints acknowledge that only Christ is worthy. Only Christ is worthy to open, to take the book, and to break its seals. Only He is worthy. Why, again? Because He was slain, and by implication He rose from the dead, like chapter 1, Revelation 1, 17 and 18. He rose from the dead, and because of His death and resurrection, He purchased for God in order to bring us to God. For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God. He might bring us to God. And this is what He did. He purchased us. We were slaves of sin. But He purchased us so that we now we belong to God. By His own blood. With His blood. Unblemished blood as it says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. One, only one person had unblemished blood, sinless life from conception to his death. Only one, and that was Christ. And because of that, he was able to purchase men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He purchased a people for himself from all around the world, tall and short, whatever language they speak, whatever color they are, whatever foods they eat, however they dress, because they hear the gospel, because they believe the gospel, they belong to Christ. And this is what he purchased. He purchased people from all around the world. And now, not only did he purchase us, notice what he makes us. He makes us, verse 10. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. He has made them. Christ actually made us to be a kingdom and priests to our God. We didn't do it ourselves. Christ did it for us. He didn't con uh, contribute 99.9%, and we contribute point. Uh, uh, 1%. No, that's not what happened. No, He purchased it all and He made us to be this way. It, it's not even 50 and 50. He purchased us and He made us to be a kingdom and priests. And what is the privilege? We have this identification as royalty and as, as redeemed as redeemed priests but also we will reign upon the earth. We have a reign that will last forever and ever and ever. I take this verse 10, reigning upon the earth to, to be, reigning upon the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
since he's been focused on heaven and what Christ did for us, I don't think he's speaking of just reigning on the earth for a thousand years. If one takes that interpretation, reigning on, in the millennium for a thousand years on the earth, that, that is one interpretation. But it seems according to this context, since he's speaking of heaven and what Christ has done to redeem us, the thrust of the chapter is not the millennial kingdom, but reigning and being with Christ forever. That's, the, that's why I take it that way. Because 2 Peter 3 says, we look for a new heavens, 3.13, we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. A new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, verse 11, And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands. He sees the host of heaven. Everyone there, everyone there, they are innumerable. He cannot count them. And it's not just that John cannot count them, because John has limited uh, mathematical abilities. And it's not because John doesn't have enough time for him to figure out. No. It's intentionally this way because infinite praise by infinite number of, of creatures are shouting out, they say with a loud voice, the following exclamation. That's the point. The point is you cannot find enough people or angels to praise God. He is such uh, worthy of praise that you cannot find enough to do so. And notice in verse 12 that they have to heap, they have to heap at, uh, nouns on, upon the Lamb. They have to heap these words in order to explain in great fullness what they're talking about because He is so worthy. They are so exuberant the innumerable people are so exuberant, they heap these words to describe the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Again, always reminded of His death. His death for our redemption. To receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, and glory, and blessing. All of these, all of these are given to the Son, the Lamb. Just as these kinds of, uh, of praises were given to the Father, heaped upon the Father, in chapter 4, verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. The same with the Son. He receives glory, honor, power, wisdom, riches, might, blessing, everything. Christ deserves it all. Everything that we could think of, everything that we can say to Him, He deserves it. Not anyone else, Christ. And verse 13 further emphasizes that every created thing is speaking this way. Every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Notice here, if it was unclear in our comparison of chapters 4 and 5 that the Father and the Son both deserve worship because both are deity, both have a divine nature, in one verse, verse 13, 
to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to the Father and to the Son, equally blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And this is just like what we read in John 5, 22 to 23. Why is this done? So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whatever honor people give to the Father, they ought to give that same honor to the Son. He possesses a divine nature. And notice 14. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. They worshipped. They bowed down, they fell down, and they worshipped. Angelic and human representation here of falling before the Father and the Son and worshipping both. Only God deserves worship. And here, Christ receives it. This is the way it ought to be. We think about Christ and what He's done to redeem us, and all glory goes to Him. And the glory we give to Him gives Him honor. It gives the Father honor. They both receive honor. And we, we do what we were created to do. We do what we were created to do, and we'll do this forever. Hallelujah. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen? Amen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.